Well, hey everyone, this is Cameron Hager, and hopefully you are listening to this on Palm Sunday, which marks the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, it just so happened to work out perfectly that uh, today's text, as we as we finish up our week in chapters 9 through 12, comes from John 12, uh, verses 12 through 19, which is the triumphal entry, one of the traditional texts that's read for Palm Sunday. Um, we'll get into why here in a minute. Uh, but this does mark the, the beginning of Holy Week or Passion Week, as it's called in some church traditions. And of course, every church tradition has a habit of celebrating this week differently. Um, for us, we're just going to continue on through John as anticipated. So um, starting tomorrow, Monday, we will be reading chapters 13 through 16 together. But we're going to hear three devotionals over the course of the week out of those chapters. And then uh, we are going to do a special uh, Good Friday service in conjunction with Door of Hope Southeast, and then a special um, Easter service as well in conjunction with Southeast. And so uh, details about that are on our website or on social media or whatever. But we do hope that even in the midst of quarantine, uh, that we will really all be able to slow down, um, not just from jobs and whatever, which is, is happening for many of us, um, but but spiritually to just take stock uh, and reflect deeply on uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is uh, the most significant week uh, throughout Christian history. I hope you view it as a deeply significant week for your own faith, um, just an opportunity to reflect back on the center of our faith, which is the cross. And so this Sunday today marks the beginning of the week. Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday actually is, um, well, sorry, Saturday ends the week and Resurrection Sunday begins the new week, the new day, uh, the, the day of the resurrection. And so we hope, again, that this is, this is a significant time for you um, as we hopefully are all continuing through the book of John together, but with special, special, special eye and ear tuned to the significance of this week leading up to Jesus's, Jesus's death. So today we are in chapter 12. And before I uh, really jump in, I just want to tee up this, this question. Like, have you ever had this, one of these moments where your expectation just was radically different from reality? I'm sure in, in the big picture, uh, certainly no one would have expected the second or third week of April to feel like this or to look like this in terms of mass lockdown. But there's all kinds of ways in which we build expectations for things in our heads and then things don't match up. And there's this scene from this film. I wouldn't necessarily call it a great film, but I'd call it an interesting film called 500 Days of Summer. It was like a romantic comedy from, I don't know, I didn't even look it up, but the mid late 2000s. Um, so probably over a decade old. But there's this great sequence in this film where he's he, him and his girlfriend have kind of the main character. They've kind of fallen. Um, their relationship has kind of fallen on the rocks and he's going to try to reconnect with her at this party he's been invited to. And the filmmaker chose to do this really cool thing where they do a split screen down the middle. And on the left side, you see uh, his, his expectation of how this party was going to go. You see him mingling and hanging out and uh, just inching his way closer to the girl and they're they're kind of hitting it off and flirting and they're connecting and as the night goes on they're getting closer and closer but on the right side of the screen you have the exact same party shot but it has the text of at the bottom of the screen it says reality and 
here he's actually kind of awkwardly pushed to the side. He's unable to connect with her. He can't really make it into her sort of inner circle of conversation. And uh, he ends up just being frustrated. And if I, gosh, I can't remember now, but it may even end with them fighting about something. Um, and I just have always thought that was such a great way to, to illustrate what is so often the case of uh, how our expectations, especially when they've been built up for some time, differ from the reality that's come. And this story right here for Palm Sunday um, is one such story. Uh, this is the story of Jesus's sort of triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, that great city of the kings of Israel, where he's throughout the book, as, as we've been reading, Jesus has been identified as the Messiah. He's been identified as the king. There have been even people who've wanted to thrust him into power on the spot, but Jesus has avoided that. Um, but now he comes riding into the city, and this is sort of his kingly processional. Uh, but it's not exactly what the people were expecting, even those same ones who wanted to make him king. And so we pick it up in, in verse 12. Um, it says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so this next day that it's referring to is Palm Sunday marking the beginning of Holy Week, which concludes, again, with Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and then is followed by Resurrection Sunday or Easter, so the perfect text for us today. And the crowd, it says it's, well, it doesn't make it explicit here, but it's made up of pilgrims who, who've come to Jerusalem for the feast, for Passover. Uh, so Jerusalem would have been jam-packed, full of celebrants, people coming to celebrate the Passover, the most significant holiday um, that, that, that holiday that, that commemorated God's deliverance uh, of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And, and, and consequently, uh, there's a, a commentator, Craig Keener, puts it this way. So consequently, Jewish hopes for a future deliverance from their current problems ran high during the season. Um, you've got to remember that we've got an Israel here who is under Roman occupation. So they are subject to sort of Rome, Roman overlords. Um, and there were a lot of people who were really hoping every Passover with a fresh hope that God would deliver them from Roman oppression, that he would send the Messiah King, the Christ, the anointed one to come and overthrow Rome and give them their independence once again. Um, and Keener again says that, that Rome had troops, he, Rome would have had troops in Jerusalem ready at this time in case riot control became necessary. By treating Jesus as the object of any of these hopes, the crowds are beginning to see in this teacher a possible messianic figure who would lead them against the Romans. So that's, that's the end of the quote there. So messianic expectations running high, the, the king who's going to come and unite the people and overthrow the evil oppressor, um, many suspect he's here. Um, so verse 13 says, they, they took branches, all the, all the people, these people who are here to celebrate, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet Jesus, crying out, quote, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. In the other gospels, they even include some additional details. This is one of those stories that all four of the gospels includes. Um, and you get other details like that the crowds were laying their cloaks down on the road for Jesus to ride on, not just the palm branches. Others called out different things. Some called him the son of David, uh, the son of the king uh, in the lineage of the king, the true king who's coming. Others called out, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So they, they recognize that the kingdom is happening here and now. 
Um, and that word Hosanna, it even means, oh, save or God save. A saying that probably originated in Psalm 118 verses 25 and uh, 26. And um, Craig Keener again points out that Psalm 113 through 118, all those chapters are called the Hallel. They, they were regularly sung at Passover season. So these words were fresh in everyone's minds. Hope for the restoration of the Davidic kingdom also ran high at this time of year. So again, he's just pointing out everything that is going on in this is talking about kingly expectation. Even that word Hosanna or God save comes from um, just this expectant passage from the Psalms. And we see that the crowd identified Jesus as the king of Israel and the palm branches uh, even even were symbolic uh, symbols of, of victory and kingship. So yeah, everything is jam-packed with this sort of expectation. Um, but remember earlier in John, we said this a second ago, but let's re-highlight it. Jesus would flee from the people trying to make him king. But here now, he's accepting the recognition. He doesn't try to evade. He doesn't try to uh, you know, slip away. He's riding in as king, accepting their praise. And there's there's strategy here, um, because Jesus Jesus was now ready to accept the title of king and and the consequences that would come with it from the religious authorities if he did let people go along with this. Before he wasn't ready yet. He wasn't ready to be killed. He had more ministry to do. He had more teaching to deliver. But now Jesus, in his full prophetic wisdom, must know that the end is coming. The cross is before him. Time is short. He can now claim the title. So this is huge. It's like it's like a mini coronation ceremony for him. And uh, again, this probably contributed to the speed of, of his execution, the fact that he's he's coming and he's not correcting the people here. Um, so even though it's a coronation, it was unlike what they would have expected for a number of reasons. Let's read on. Verse 14 says, And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it's written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So, a military leader or a king would be expected to ride horses or ride in chariots. But Jesus came on a donkey or a colt. Um, this is called the triumphal entry, but you see it's triumphal in a distinctly Jesus-y way. Like he announces his kingly arrival to the city in an obviously humble way. Um, and I love Bruce, Bruce Milne here um, in his commentary. He says, look, he's the king of Israel, but not like Judas Maccabeus who entered the city on a war horse, nor like Solomon. Rather, he's the king of whom Zechariah has prophesied, who comes gentle and riding on a donkey, that's Zechariah 9.9, who will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and through whom the battle bow will be broken. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. He, he will rule. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And Milne says, Jesus deliberately demilitarizes their vision and declares the nature of his messianic rule, a rule of peace, of gentleness and universal tolerance. Nothing further from a zealotic view of the Messiah could be imagined. And by, by zealotic, he means that the zealots, the ones who are ready to take up the sword and throw, do a violent revolution to kick Rome out. Saying, no, 
That's not what Jesus's that's not what Jesus's kingdom is going to be like. And the very choice uh, of animal to ride is is symbolic of that. It's significant. And note this little interesting editorial comment here. John's giving attention to the fact that Jesus's own disciples they they still had an understand like an evolving understanding of who he was and what he was up to. Like they probably didn't understand the prophetic or messianic significance of this moment until a lot later. You know, they're probably thinking, "Why is he on this donkey again?" Um, and John makes this type of comment several times that that they didn't realize at the time, but later, even years, decades later, perhaps, the dawning realization came, and man, that must have been powerful. And so just a little encouragement to you, like, as we read together, if we miss the significance of what Jesus does from time to time, we're not alone. The disciples who lived with him, who were much more, probably many of them, familiar with the Jewish scriptures than we are, they were in the same boat. They missed the significance. Um, it's okay if we do too, <laughs> uh, but it's fun. It's, it's amazing when you start making those connections and see the threads and how they work together. Um, and so finally, verses 17 through 19, we see Jesus's fame has, has spread. So verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, and we just heard Joel speak about that uh, a few days ago, um, and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign, the sign of, with Lazarus. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so the Lazarus episode in the previous chapter, John 11, evidently inspired a huge crowd to tell the tale. This amazing thing that they'd seen Jesus do couldn't be kept to themselves. They had to share. And that is always the right reaction to, to coming to see Jesus and who he is and what he's done is to share it, to pass it on, to invite others into that reality. And uh, we see here at the, at the end that the Pharisees recognize that Jesus's popularity was still ascending. So their case against him and their arguments against him and their deterrent against him toward the people uh, was not effective at all. So Jesus's his fame is still ascending. Um, and remember, we've already seen in John eleven fifty three 53, that, that the Sanhedrin had already made a plan to kill Jesus. His death was, was going to happen. They just had to wait for their quiet, sort of out of the spotlight opportunity. And so we just have this additional moment of tension where they know they're going to kill him. And now Jesus has upped the ante with this triumphal entry into the city. Um, and I just, I want to, uh, end here with just a brief mention of how Luke concludes this story, which I think is really significant for us. So Luke includes some details here that are uh, unique. In Luke uh, 19, starting in verse 39, it says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd at the same, same moment said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent the very stones would cry out. Luke makes the same point that John is making super powerfully. Jesus is king. He's king. He really is. And, and people can try to deny it or refute it or ignore it or make fun of it or whatever. 
but the truth of the matter is so baked into the fabric of reality, not just that he's the king of Israel, but that by being king of Israel, he becomes king of the world, the king of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And this is so baked into the fabric of reality that if all people were to refuse to believe it or proclaim it, the stones would have to proclaim it. Like it's it's so central to creation, the nature of creation, that the stones would have to cry out. And the triumphal entry, the, the surprising or the up expectation upending nature of this is that he is not what we think of when we think of monarchy or patriarchy or whatever other kind of archy. <laughs> is archy, can you use that that way? Whatever other kind of archy comes to mind. Because when we think of kings and, and those who sit atop these big authority structures, we think of the ones who are going to lord it over others. But Jesus says, not that way in my kingdom. He is the one, he's the king who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many on the cross. He is the king who comes in humility, not to judge, but to seek and save the lost. He's the physician come to heal the sick. He, he's the good king. He's the true king. He's the king that every other power holder in our world fails to live up to. Every other power holder in our world is a mere shadow, a distortion of the true kingship, the true kind of authority that Jesus exemplifies. And he's come. He's come. And when he came, it did not look like what we expected because our expectations are twisted and ugly and broken, frankly. But he's come. And we're going to see in the rest of John, it changes everything for us. If he is in fact king, it is good news because it's unlike anything else we've experienced. And because his deepest desire is for our deepest good. And he secured that for us on the cross. And so uh, Jesus is the surprising king who upends expectation on Palm Sunday Um May you think about that today. May you reflect deeply about that today. And as we move into the next chapters of John, um, chapters 13 through 16, we're going to be reading this coming week, starting tomorrow, Monday. May we keep all of this in the forefront of our minds. Uh, he is the true king who's come not just to, to sit atop his power, powerful throne, uh, but to humble himself to death on a cross on our behalf to save us, to heal us, to purchase us, to forgive us. May we reflect on that this week. Amen? Amen.